Let's open our Bibles tonight to Luke chapter number 6. And uh, I want to preach a Thanksgiving message to you. And I know you're going to say, well, now preacher, Thanksgiving's over. But I'm going to tell you something. If you can start Christmas in August and keep it going till February, I can preach a Thanksgiving message. Amen. And uh, I got a witness there. All right. Luke chapter number 6. No, this is just a a thought that jumped out to me in the reading of God's Word, and I don't know, I, you know, I don't know that it's a Thanksgiving message, but it is about gratitude. And I want you to notice something that's said in the Word of God here uh, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Of course, this is Luke's accounting of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and uh, particularly uh, following the Beatitudes. There's a phrase that's given about the Lord, and I want you to notice it tonight, and I want us to think about it for a few moments together. Luke chapter number 6, verse number 27. The Word of God says, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. Him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for the house of God. Thank you for the local church, Lord, a place that we can come and we can worship, we can hear the word of God, we can be around your people, Lord, and your people are our people since you made us one of yours. Lord, what a blessing it is to have a place that we can come to tonight. What a blessing it is to have a book, not just a book, but Lord, the book, the very God-breathed Word of God. Help us as we study it tonight, as we open our hearts to it, that there would be a supernatural and eternal work done in us. God, that we would not just come to fulfill an obligation, not just come to go through motions, but Lord, that we would come to meet with you. And we'll be sure, Lord, to thank you for what's accomplished. Father, we love you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to notice in particular the phrase that is said in verse number 35. The close of the verse, the Lord Jesus makes this comment about God in His interactions and in His responses to fallen man. He says, for He is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. In uh, this holiday season, and we'll just call it that, Thanksgiving and Christmas even though Thanksgiving is a hundred times the holiday Christmas is, it gets dragged into it with uh, with Christmas. And so that's okay for those that like Christmas. Uh, but during these holiday seasons, we'll say a lot about gratitude, about thankfulness. Of course, we've just spent a little time talking about being thankful unto the Lord. One of the things that I love about that Tuesday night service, aside from the pies, uh, is that we can get together and just be thankful to God, be publicly verbally, openly thankful to God. And during this time of the year, there's a great emphasis placed on gratitude and on thankfulness. And let me say, we need that. 
If we're not, if we don't get prompted about it, there's a lot of things we'll never thank God for. Uh, we are a forgetful bunch of people. We oftentimes forget to stop and give God thanks for His goodness and His grace in our lives. But when I come to Luke chapter number six, I find out what God's attitude is and response towards unthankfulness is. If I'm to be honest, I spend more of my life being unthankful than I do being thankful. Uh, if I was to be 100% honest with you, there's more things I don't thank God for than there are that I do thank God for. And so while I think it's very important that I know how important thankfulness is, and I think it's very important that you know how important thankfulness is, I think the Word of God is awful sweet to us to say a word about unthankfulness and about what God does towards those that are unthankful. Because that in many ways is more relative, more relevant, excuse me, to our lives than some great glorious sermon on thankfulness. What does God do to unthankful people? When I read this passage of Scripture, there are three truths that jump out to me. I want to share them with you tonight, and then we'll uh, go, we'll give thanks, and then we'll go eat some unhealthy stuff. Somebody say amen to that. Read again with me, verse number 35. But love ye your enemies, and also uh, do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. What does it say? For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Let me say number one tonight, when I read this passage, there is a precious truth that is found here. You know what that precious truth is? He's good to us even when we're not good to him. If the only time God was ever good to me was when I was good to Him, I wouldn't ever get none of the goodness of God. And God in His infinite wisdom, knowing that and desiring to bestow upon us the blessings of His graces, He chose to do it by grace, not by our own works, not by our own ability. And so instead, as an expression of His character, He's good to those that aren't even good to Him. We've been talking about it in Sunday school in Ephesians 2 and uh, I find myself always in my mind, I go back to the things we talk about in Sunday school and sort of retread them and replow them over and over again. And one of the things we've been talking about is in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the context and reason for that verse. For by grace are you saved through faith, uh, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Wonderful, amazing passage of Scripture. But when you look at the context of it, the context, Paul is explaining the reason that salvation is by grace. And the reason is that the whole reason God saved us is that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in Christ Jesus through His kindness towards us. The reason God saved mankind was not because mankind was awesome and needed saving, but rather because mankind was morally uh, bankrupt and they were uh, depraved and they were destitute of righteousness in every way. And so they served as a fit vehicle for His grace so that He could express to humanity just how good of a God that He truly, truly is. And for that very reason, we have what we find in our verse here. He is kind even to those that are not grateful for His kindness. Now let me say this. I don't know that it needs to be said, but I'm going to say it anyway. We ought to be grateful. It's displeasing to God when we're ungrateful. But I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, even if you're never grateful, I bet you God will still be good to you. Even if you don't deserve it. You know why? Because you never deserve it. He'll still be good to you. What do we see here? Well, if we go back through our passage of Scripture and begin to view it through the prism of God's kindness to the unthankful, we begin to see this a little different than I think we often interpret it. Go back to verse number 27. 
It says, but I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. In these verses, we have not just practical instruction, but we have a foreshadowing of the goodness of God expressed to humanity on the cross of Calvary. So where do you see that, preacher? Well, notice number one in verse 27, we have mentioned how He loved us. It says, I say unto you which here love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. Now God's been very good to the unthankful and the evil, and the first way He has is that He loved us when we did not love Him. He loved us when there was nothing that was lovable about us. We think of love, and I'll say a word about this in a moment, in a very reciprocal way. I'll love those that love me. The Lord Jesus rebukes that as being the extenuating limit of our love because He says, you know, even sinners will love somebody to get love in return. But the love of God is not that He laid down His life for His friends. I know we say that out of John 15, 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But the Lord Jesus then went on to say, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever uh, that I command you. In other words, He was telling them how they could be a friend to Him. He had already been a lot greater friend to them than they would ever be to Him, for He had loved them when they were His enemies. He had loved them when they were completely estranged from Him. You want to know how He loved us? Even when we were unthankful, even when we had no gratitude, even when we were evil. The Bible says in Romans 5.10, for if when we were enemies, that's a strong word, man, an enemy. An enemy is somebody, it's, it's a nemesis. It's somebody that is on the polar opposite side of the things that we value the very most. When I think of an enemy in my life, Uh, And I don't have very many. Well, I've probably got a lot more than I realize. But when I think of an enemy in my life, I think of someone that's trying to take away the things that I value. Uh, Let me just say this to you. Boy, yeah, I'm going to say it. We better learn to see the people that are trying to take away the things that are precious from us as enemies or else we're going to lose them. We better begin to realize that people that would destroy your children, destroy your ability to... Uh, earn a living, destroy uh, your your uh, livelihood. And I'm talking about institutional influences. I'm talking about people that want to wield their power and influence as a weapon against us. We better we better take the blinders off and begin to recognize that these people view themselves as our enemy. Uh, so uh, you know, I don't have very many enemies, but certainly somebody that stands in opposition to everything I love, man, that would be somebody. If ever there was a person that would be an enemy, that would be an enemy. And you know, that's what we were when God loved us. He didn't wait around for us to start loving Him. He instead loved us. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, Romans 5.10, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. What did the Lord do here? Well, He loved His enemies, not His friends, but His enemies. He did good to them which hated Him. The Bible says that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now stop and think about that. There's some things if you're going to love this, you've got to hate that. A shepherd loves his sheep, so he hates wolves. A farmer loves his crop, so he hates weeds, right? A soldier loves his own citizen, so he hates the opposition citizens, at least on the field of battle. And the fact is, when mankind hated 
God, when He came unto His own, His own received Him not. Instead of uh, requiting evil for evil, He requited good for evil. He came into a world that was openly and fundamentally hostile towards Him. And He did so that He might express love towards us. I, I think while He loved us is sort of into that here. Even when we weren't thankful. even You know that Jesus, and I know the Calvinists don't believe this, uh, but but God don't believe in Calvinism, so I don't care. Do you know that Jesus even died for those that would reject Him? He tasted death for every man. I don't listen. I don't. I ain't got thick enough uh, books to be able to uh, somehow twist and manipulate the the word uh, "every man" into meaning something other than "every man." Right? Uh, the, the Calvinist says, "Well, He just limited atonement. He just died for these, but He didn't die for those, and so on." And so on. you won't find that in the Bible. They didn't find that in the Bible. <laughs> they find that in somebody's book, but they didn't find it in the King James Bible. No, the fact is, he tasted death for every man. He's the uh, Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. What does that mean? That means he could save everybody. He'll only save those that come unto him. It's true, because they're the only ones that will allow it. But he's the Savior of all men, right? Uh, he died for every single person in this world, knowing that they would reject him. I, I see how he loved us, but then I see how he died for us. He says, verse 28, bless them that curse you. He did that on the cross, didn't he? They spit curses into his teeth. And he just prayed for them which despitefully used him. The Bible tells us in Second Peter that when he was reviled, he reviled not again. That he, he was speechless, that he held his tongue, that he didn't curse him back. Unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. Isn't that what he did? That night whenever uh, they had him in that kangaroo court at Caiaphas' house, and they would go by and they would take their fists, he was blindfolded, and they would smite him, and they'd say, prophesy unto us, which did smite you. He could have done a lot more than prophesy. He could have destroyed every one of them. But instead, he just offered them the other cheek and said, no, this is what you want to do, I'll do it. It says, and him that takes away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. You know, he could have destroyed them Roman soldiers that were parting his garments amongst them. But instead, he gave even that coat that was woven from the top throughout that was a picture of his impeccable righteousness. Here's what I'm getting at. He went willingly to the cross of Calvary for those that hated him and despised him, for those that were showing active malice towards him. And Boy, I'll tell you, it hurts me to know that, but it helps me too because there's a lot of times when the way I treat God could be viewed as open malice too. When I live in sin, knowing it hurts him, when I, when I allow myself to, to live a life that, that bespeaks a shame of Him, when He ain't nobody to be ashamed of, that could be viewed as open malice. But you know that don't change how God loves us, how He died for us. And then look at verse 30. He says this, Give to every man that asketh of thee. <laughs> Boy, I, I could just stop there for a while. <laughs> Give to every man that asketh of thee. Again, that's going to mess that Calvinist up. Give to every man that asketh of thee. Not just those that are elected, appointed, ordained, foreknown. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. I see how he gave to us. So what did he give to us, preacher? He gave us eternal life. Any that come unto me, he said, I will in no wise cast out. Give to every man that asketh of thee, even though he knows we're going to disappoint Him even though He knows we're going to betray Him. 
I think the most vivid picture of this is the Lord Jesus' treatment of Judas. In knowing that Judas... I mean, before Judas ever had a mind to know anything about Judas, Jesus already knew that that Judas would be the one that would betray him. And yet he treated Judas with such kindness that on the night that he looked around at his disciples and he said, one of you is going to betray me, nobody stopped and said, yeah, it's Judas. (laughs) That's what happened in a Baptist church, wasn't it? (laughs) Somebody said, yeah, it's Kenny, we know. (laughs) No, nobody said, yeah, it's Judas. They all said, is it me? Is it me? Is it I? They were, they, they were more willing to suggest that they would betray him than that Judas would betray him. That's the level of kindness that the Lord Jesus showed towards Judas. He, he, he would give to every man that asketh of thee. And I like this, of him that takes away thy goods, ask him not again. Well, I'm glad I ain't got to worry that one day he's going to wake up and ask for that eternal life back. I'm glad he's never going to look at the way I'm living and say, you know, I just don't think you're worth it. <laughs> You know why? Because he knew I wasn't worth it in the beginning. I never earned it. I never, I never strived for it. He just sort of said, if you'll come unto me, I'll not cast you out. And so I came to him. I took him at his word. And I came to him. I said, Lord, I don't know why you'd love me. I don't know why you'd save me, but I'd like to be saved. Would you please forgive me and save me? I don't want to die and go to hell. And he gave me eternal life. And I never have to worry that he's going to come walking back by and knock on my door and say, you know, Toby, you just ain't been doing with that eternal life what I thought you was going to do with it. Hand it over, I'm taking it back. Uh, there's a lot of people believe he'd do that. But the problem is that's not in the very character of God. And I would say this, uh, to, to suggest that about salvation, to suggest that about redemption, is to wholly miss the point in redemption in the first place. It is not something that we are entrusted with on a probationary period for a short while to see how we do with it, see if we give God any return on it, but rather it's an expression of His grace and of His mercy. Makes me think about what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. He said, This grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us. Just gave it to us given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Do you remember what we was preaching on this morning? Do you remember what the Father said to the older brother? Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. That's how God does the sinner that comes broken to him and asks for forgiveness. The sinner comes and just asks for a little drink of water and he gives the whole well. Just asks for, for, for just a little pardon. And he winds up with the whole kingdom. He says, I'll give you everything. I'll give you all that I am and all that I have. It'll all be yours. And I'll never ask for it back. It belongs to you now. He says, and as you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. And I'd say this, buddy. I mean, if I could just treat God for about two seconds as good as He's treated me, I'd really feel like I'd been a Christian. I'd really feel like I had understood what this Christianity was about. If I, for even just a flash of a moment, could treat Him as good as He has treated me, then I'd understand what Christianity is. You want to understand the esteem to which you are to hold God in? You're to treat Him or to strive to. You'll never do it, and I won't either. But you're to strive to treat Him as good as He's treated you. 
You know how important He should be? You want to know? Look at how important you are to Him. So much so that He'd leave the very ivory throne of God, be robed in flesh, suffer and die at the hands of cruel men, that you can be born again. That's how important you were to Him. How important is He to you? How much, how much of God's time do you get? Much as you want, right? Ever been a time that you went to pray to Him and there was a, there was a sorry out fishing sign on the prayer closet? No, in fact, any time you need Him, He's there for you. Are there times He needs you that you're not there for Him? Times that He knocks on your heart's door and says, okay, it's time to go. I need some help with this. You say, sorry, got my own issues I'm working through. You see, if you just look at it and try to be as good to Him as He is to you, then you'll live the Christian life and live it successfully and in victory. Man, there's a precious truth that's found here. But then I would say, number two, there's a powerful truth found here. And I think it's easy to read past it if we're not careful. The Bible says, For He is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Isn't it amazing how those two things are said in the same breath? As though they both are of the same severity. God is drawing a similitude between these two things. He's saying this, that unthankfulness is an evil thing. Now boy, that's not how we view it, is it? I'm going to tell you something. Now I'm raising two children. And we make a lot of excuses for unthankfulness. We'll say, well, you know, it wasn't the exact one they want. We'll say, well, they're just in a bad mood. Or they'll say, well, you know, they thought it was going to be something else that they would get. Whatever it might be. Let me tell you something. We're not helping our kids if we do that. We ought to teach them unthankfulness is an evil thing. It dishonors God. Uh, now, I'm not saying that a person can't be disappointed, uh, but be a good Baptist and hide your disappointment. Somebody say amen to that. <laughs> no, it's tough sometimes with kids because kids, they just, they're just fool enough to just say what they're thinking, right? And uh, and they'll say anything. And so you have to teach them what gratitude really is. Elsewise, they're going to embarrass you. Unthankfulness. We make all kinds of excuses for it. Boy, don't we do it in our lives too. All the reasons we don't stop and give God thanks for the things that He's done in our life. Uh, the Lord Jesus, He spoke of unthankfulness and gratitude in the same breath with the word evil. Moral deficiency. And, uh, moral, uh, deformity, something that is wrong, something that is, is a stain upon our testimony. Man, that's strong language. Why would he speak of it in that way? Well, I think our text gives us a little idea about it. Go back to verse number 32. He talks about the actions of sinners, lost people, evil people. Now, I don't mean to suggest that every sinner is, uh, necessarily actively vicious or malign in their disobedience, but lost people are fundamentally evil because they are lost. You are not fundamentally evil if you've been born again because you've been born again. That shouldn't be a controversial statement. Amen? I didn't say every lost person was mean. I said every lost person is evil. They know only to do that which is unrighteous, that which is wrong, and even the things they do that are externally moral are done out of selfish means and motive. So if we're talking about evil... The Lord Jesus describes to us how sinners act and what their attitude is towards the good that others do to them and their responsibility to do good to others. And in this, you know what we have? We have a picture of what breeds, what produces 
ingratitude in the heart of the believer. When we start acting like lost folks, like unrighteous folks, like sinners in our relationship to God, we'll start being unthankful in the way that we view Him. Notice verse 32. He says, For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. Why is unthankfulness evil? Well, it's uh, it's evil because it treats uh, three things. One, it treats God's love as reasonable. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, it views that God's love, the way that He loves us, is merely in response to our loving of Him. This is the backbone of religion. That if I love God, He'll love me. This is not the backbone of Bible Christianity. Bible Christianity does not say that God loves me because I love Him. Rather, the book of 1 John says that we love Him because He first loved us. Listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. It says, "In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And down in verse 19, it says, Boldly we love Him because He first loved us. You know why we're not thankful for the love of God in our lives? Because we think we're awful lovable. We think it's reasonable that God would love us. We're amazed at some of the other people he can love. But it's no stretch of the imagination that he could love us. You seen this winning smile? Of course he loves us. How foolish, right? But you see, when we're not grateful for the love of God, that can only be what we feel. When it does not just absolutely baffle us that God in heaven, I'm not talking about a God. I'm not talking about somebody's God. I'm talking about the God, the only God, the God of the universe knows your name, knows the number of hairs on your head, the number of tears in your eyes, and the number of breaks in your heart, that He loves us, then the only reason that we could not be awestruck by that is if we think that we're somehow deserving of that love. It's a great elevation of self, and pride is an evil thing. Ingratitude has lost the wonder of it all and is no longer mystified and enchanted by the reality that the God of all glory loves us. Instead, unthankfulness and gratitude is evil because it treats God's love as reasonable. Number two, look at verse 33. He says, And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. Unthankfulness and gratitude, it's evil because it treats God's loving kindness as reciprocal. In other words, it says, God's only good to me because I'm good to Him. To have this view of things in life, one is to dismiss the expressed character of God in Scripture. But number two, you know the problem with it? It suggests that we ever could live a life that benefits God apart from His grace and His mercy. It views in us an innate, an intrinsic goodness. And we believe if we're not grateful for the goodness of God in our life, I'm just going to be honest with you, and I know we're sort of replowing the same row a little bit here, uh, but if if we're not thankful for the goodness of God, you know why? Because we think we're deserving of that goodness. We think we've been good enough to Him that He ought to be good to us. 
again, we lose the wonder of it because at the end of the day, we're not really, uh, we're not really, uh, enchanted by it anyway because of course he would be good to us. After all, we've been so good to him. We went to church. Man, of course he'd bless me. I went to church. Man, of course he'd bless me. I read his book. Right? I read the instructions. Of course he's gonna bless me. He ought to bless me. I, I've been talking to him. You see, when you say it like that, it's absurd. And yet that's our attitude sometimes. And when God allows unpleasant, unpalatable things in our life, and we believe that He's not doing us good, but is instead, in Job's words, uh, giving evil to us, you know, shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord, not, not evil. We, we grow scandalized by it. We grow disturbed by it because how dare God not be good to me after I've been so good to Him. Man, if we could just see it in God's eyes for just a moment. I'll just quote one pretty famous Old Testament passage out of the book of Isaiah that says that our attempts at righteousness are as filthy rags. I, that, that ain't your worst 20 seconds. That's your best 20 seconds is as ra- filthy rags in the eyes of God. Uh, see, it treats it as though he's being good to me because I'm good to him. Now, that's not to suggest that we shouldn't be good to him. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which we were before ordained, uh, which were before ordained that we should walk therein. We should be good to him. But we're not being good to him so he'll be good to us. We're being good to him because he's being good to us. Uh, we use it as reciprocal in the wrong way. Well, then look at verse 34. He says this, and if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. Now, when he's talking about receiving it again, I want to be clear with with what's being said here. He's not suggesting that we ought to let somebody borrow something and it's wrong to ask for it back. What he's saying is loaning things to people for usury, loaning it with the purpose that we're going to tack interest onto it and get money back. And you say, well, preacher, is God against that? Well, uh, not in a like pagan Gentile world functioning in a market, he's not. But God's people shouldn't view other people as marks that they can go after. That shouldn't be our attitude about it. It, it, it shouldn't be. And I've seen this happen, man. I, I've seen it happen where, uh, you know, people start a business and all of a sudden they ain't got church family, they got customers. I ain't saying it's wrong to do business with the church family. I'm saying don't forget that they're your church family. I had, I won't go into all of it because it don't edify and there's no point in it. But I had a guy get flat out mad. I had to rebuke him over this very thing. And uh, good thing about it, nowadays people say, Carnal, you rebuke, you rebuke them. They just leave. You ain't got to deal with them for long. <laughs> and I was talking to a guy and he, he was in a predatory way abusing church members financially through the business that he was running. And I rebuked him over it. And he didn't like that. And he got mad and he left. That has no place in the house of God. I Listen, ain't nobody saying that a man ought to work for free. But we sure enough not all, not look at our church family and view them as marks, as customers, as saps and suckers, as patsies that we can get something out of. Hey, you think God's going to allow us to lay waste to the house of God like that? Don't think for one moment God's going to tolerate that. What He's saying is this. Uh, if you're doing it just for what you can get out of it, uh, that's exactly what sinners do. That's not thankworthy. And here's the problem. Uh, the reason that it's evil is because it views God's lending as transactional. Now remember, we're looking at this through the prism of how God's been good to us. And there's a lot of people that view 
God's relationship to them this way. They viewed it like it was a business deal, like it was an investment. I understand there's some parables in the Word of God that certainly express the fact that we should seek to benefit God, to please God, to take the things He's bestowed upon us and to multiply them for His glory. But I, and listen, I hate, I'm not trying to be mean, I, but, but let me just disabuse you of this notion that you were ever a good investment. If you're like me, you have cost God far more than He'll ever get back out of you. And when we then begin to view it as though we have been recruited for an all-star baseball team and we're just out here, you know, playing shortstop and winning games, we're a superstar Christian that showed up and is, and is uh, taking one for the team, doing one for everybody else, uh, then we grow ungrateful. In other words, celebrity Christianity that's centered around personality, that's centered around the exaltation of self and not the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it evil when we're unthankful for the goodness and grace of God in our life? Because we lose the perspective of just how much God loved us, just what He did when He died for us, just how good He is for us, and just how much He's willing to pour into and invest into our life. You want to know what the business prospects are? You want to know what the what the, the risk assessment was that God took when He sent His Son to Calvary? Listen to what the book of 2 Corinthians says. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. He didn't win out in that respect whenever He went to the cross of Calvary. Uh, We were a money pit, so to speak, but He poured it all in. Why? Because of His great love wherewith He loved us. So there is a powerful truth here. Ingratitude is not just a casual sin of omission. Uh, ingratitude is an uh, is a spirit that we have of disregard for the great things that God has done for us. It, it, it's not forgetting to pray over a meal. It's living a life wherein we never stop to wonder and awe at what God's done for us. And we always view the things we do for God as somehow part of some transactional relationship where God's getting as much out of us as He's put into us. That's ingratitude. And it's an evil Thing. But then let me say lastly tonight, there's a practical truth found here. Remember what the whole context, purpose of this is. This is instruction that's being given. And so he says in verse 35, But love ye your enemies, and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and the evil. So there is a precious truth here. That He's kind to us even when we're not kind to Him. He's good to us even when we're not good to Him. There is a powerful truth here that our ingratitude is not just an inadvertent sin of negligence, but it is an active sin in a wrong spirit and attitude towards God. Then I see there is a practical truth here. And the practical truth is simply this. If He's kind to us when we're unthankful, we ought to be kind to others even when they're unthankful. The whole purpose for which the Lord says this is, you should not gauge your treatment of others relative to either their treatment of you or what you can get out of it. Rather, it should be reckoned by the nature, mercy, and grace of God by His way that He has treated you. That should be how you determine and measure the degree of kindness you should show for others. Why is that? Well, two things that it does. When we're kind to those that are unthankful, 
I'm going to tell you something. There's going to be a lot of times. Let's just have an adult moment, okay? Uh, There's going to be a lot of times in your life you're going to be good to people that are not good to you. There's going to be times in your life you're going to do things for people and they're not going to appreciate it. And if you allow yourself, you're going to get tore up to pieces if you make that a measure of whether they were worthy of receiving. You shouldn't have done it because they were worthy in the first place. You should have done it because He is worthy. So why do we do it? Well, for two reasons. One, we see in verse 35 an interesting statement. He says, if you'll do these things, you shall be the children of the highest. Now, what is being said there? Is this saying that in order to be a child of God and go to heaven, we have to treat people this way? I sure hope not. Because there's been a lot of times in my life I've not treated people this way. And in fact, it would be in direct contradiction to the clear plan and path of salvation all the way through the Word of God. Were that to be what Christ is saying here? So we know He's not. So then what is He saying? Well, a child bears a natural resemblance to their parent. And what He's saying here is that you want people to view you as a child of God? You want to have the characteristics of your father? Then you're going to have to love those that don't love you back. You're going to have to be good to those that are not good to you. You're going to have to, you're going to have to do for people that doesn't benefit you. You're going to have to do for folks that it costs you, that it don't benefit you, that it don't help you in a temporal way, but you're doing it not because of what you can get out of them, but because of what God has put into them, His love and time. In other words, we could say it this way, that through doing this, we manifest our association with God. We show others that we are a child of God. You can tell people you're a Christian or you can show people you're a Christian. And I'll tell you this, showing them speaks a lot louder than simply telling them. Listen to what Christ said in John chapter 13, verse 34. He said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Why was this a new commandment? What was the commandment in the Old Testament? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But he says, now we got a new way. Now you're going to love people the way I've loved you. How has, he, how has He loved them? He loved even those that would betray Him. He loved even those that would curse Him like Peter did. He loved even those that put their own position above His plan like James and John had done. But He loved them nonetheless. And He said, I want you to love others the way that I have loved you. And then He says in verse 35, By this shall all men know that you are My disciples, if you have love one to another. It ought to be that you can walk into the house of God and find out if you're amongst God's people by the way that they love each other, the way they treat one another. And by loving those that are not kind in return, we telegraph, we manifest to the world that there has been a real, eternal, powerful change in our life and that we're no longer bearing the resemblance of our old father, the devil, but of our heavenly father instead. We manifest our association and then finally I'm done tonight with verse 36. He says, be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. Not only do we manifest our association, but we manifest His affection. We communicate to the world that He loves them. If we're loving them like He loved us, and if He loved us knowing that we would then turn around and love them with that same love, then what are we? We are a vehicle for the love of God in the life of other people. It is a way for Him, by means of us, to show love towards lost sinners. This is maybe one of the most simple descriptions of Bible Christianity that a person can give. To love others in the stead of God 
and in his person. That's what the Bible says. That's what Paul said to the church at Corinth about reconciliation. We're reconciling the world unto God by Christ Jesus. We beseech you in Christ's stead that you be reconciled unto God. He said we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We're here to tell you that somebody loves you. But not only that, we're here to show you by loving you with the same love that they have loved us with. We're showing you that God loves you by loving you in that same way. We can talk about it all we want or we can show it. Christ commanded this in John chapter 15 verse 9. He said, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. And then in verse 12 he says, this is my commandment that you will love one another as I have loved you. Here's the problem. We've got that thing flipped around. We've said, I will only treat you the way you want to be treated if you'll treat me the way I want to be treated. Instead of saying, I'm going to treat you the way I want to be treated no matter how you treat me. We have only said, I will love you if you will love me in the way I want to be loved. Instead of saying, I'm going to love you the way that God loves you. And that means loving you even if you don't love me. You see, the fact is, if we can learn to love others, just as I said a moment ago, if we can treat God for just a moment as good as He's treated us, if we can look at it and say, I want to use God's love towards me as the measure of my love towards Him. And I want to try to be as good to Him. I know I can never do it. I know I can never achieve it. But I want to try to love Him the way He loved me. Then we won't listen. We won't have to follow a thousand rules trying to get a handle on this thing called Bible Christianity. That's the reason the Bible says that uh, love the Lord thy God and love thy neighbor as thyself. On these hang all the law and the commandments. Because if we want to know what it is to be a biblical Christian, we love God the way that He loved us. And then by extension, we love others in the way that God has loved us. If we'll do this, we'll fulfill the law. We'll accomplish what God set out when He gave us His Word. There is a practical truth here. So here's the question I want to ask you tonight. One, are you still enchanted? Are you still just amazed at how God has loved you? Or have you grown used to it? Have you grown so used to it that you don't even stop and give thought or give thanks for what an amazing thing that it is? And are you so impressed by the love of God and what it's done in your life that you'd be willing to put yourself aside and love others in that same way, knowing that the love of God in your life made all the difference, and therefore the love of God in their life can make all the difference as well. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play, the altar's open. I'm not going to presume to say what God may have spoke your heart about, but I do know this, if He spoke to your heart, you ought to meet Him down here in this altar. You shouldn't wait, you shouldn't put it off. You ought to come down here and meet Him in this altar. Allow Him to have His will and way in your heart, Whatever it is, submit your heart and mind to Him. And the first thing that will help you is just agree with Him. <laughs> agree with Him about your sins. That's what it means to confess our sins. It means to agree with God about them. Don't argue with Him about them. Just say, Lord, they are what you say they are. And ask His forgiveness. And then ask His help in whatever it is that God has dealt with you about. He'll cleanse you of any disobedience, of unrighteousness. But He'll not only cleanse you, He'll, he'll enable you to live in victory and to live and to do the things that He's commanding you. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His precious name.